Notice how high I have this up compared to anyone else. <laughs> I love the gospel, and I love how Paul writes about the gospel in Ephesians, because he talks about in Ephesians chapter 2 how all the things that separate us and break us down have been broken down, and now we are united as one man in Christ. You know that scripture? Because I just want to acknowledge Tob sitting there in that t-shirt this morning. <laughs> the thing that breaks us down in sport as we lost so terribly in the last minute of the rugby last night to the South Africans is not going to separate us this morning. <laughs> the gospel unites us, brother. Good. Um, it's good to be here. Yes, I'm filling in for Rachel. This sermon should be preached in a few weeks' time, um, so it might just jump us around in our series a little bit. Um, and the text I've got today is a little bit of a challenging text. So I'm just going to put a little disclaimer out there for parents and carers this morning. Um, this morning's message is about spiritual authority to heal and over unclean spirits and casting out demons. And so I'm going to be talking about demonic activity a little bit later on. So maybe if you have sensitive children and some of those things might be a bit troubling for you or whatever as a parent, I'm just saying about 15 minutes or so from now, I'll be talking about these things because it's in the scriptures, but maybe you just might want to go and take some respite out the back if you feel that would be what's best for your family context. Is that all right? Yeah, I don't want to, I'm not going to scare anyone with horrible stories or anything, but I am going to read scripture. And, uh, and that's where we're going to find ourselves, like I say, in a little while. So we're in Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 4. Um, and that's the primary focus of our Everyone a Witness text for today. So if you want to turn there now, you can do. One of the things I do want to commend this church on, King's Church, you do something really, really well. And I don't know if you're aware of it or if it's just part of the culture, but one of the things you do really well is you love to pray for the sick. Have you noticed that? Literally, I've come in here with a crick in my neck and everyone goes, let's pray. <laughs> no one's like, oh, we should take some paracetamol. Have you been to a chiropractor? I've got a brilliant thing that will massage that on your neck. They're like, no, let's pray. And you do that so well. And as part of our text today, it's talking about healing. But you guys are really good at that aspect. And so I will glance over that a little bit today. But we will focus in on the latter verses of Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. So this is what it says. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. And he gave them authority. Say authority. authority. To drive out impure spirits... Or in other translations, it will say unclean spirits or demonic spirits. And to heal every disease and sickness. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, you've got Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And the first thing that I really want us to pick up on, and it's so helpful for us to start in this place, is some very simple words right at the beginning of that text. It says, Jesus called them. Simple. Jesus spoke, they followed. And sometimes people don't realize this about how great their salvation is. And so maybe some of us have been Christians for 30 plus years in this room, maybe some of us for the last 25 minutes or so since worship began. I don't know. But what I want to reaffirm to us and underpin for us this morning is an understanding of just how precious your salvation is and what it means that Jesus called you. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus called you. 
There wasn't a moment in your life where you came to an intellectual juncture and went, I know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to choose Jesus. There might have been a moment in your life where you got to a point and went, what is this all about? What is life's meaning? Where am I going? I feel so small. There must be something more than this. Maybe you got to that place. And maybe you turned around in that moment and went, I need to know more about Jesus. But let me tell you this. You didn't arrive there because of your own volition. The Holy Spirit was leading you into that moment. Because if you were to read Ephesians and how Paul writes about our great salvation, Ephesians chapter 1, I won't quote it verbatim, essentially it says that before the foundation of the world, God predestined us to become sons of God. So before anything existed, before God spoke a word, before a star in the sky, the sea on the waves, or any of that stuff, God had predestined, he'd chosen by a deliberate act to go, you are going to be mine on this exact date. And this is going to be your journey towards salvation. Because I'm calling you, you are not calling me. Because if I was left to my own devices, I wouldn't choose God. I'd be far too happy in my sin. Or so I would think. Because I wouldn't know any better, right? So God chose you. God called you. Just think about that for a minute. You alone. He didn't call a crowd of you. He called you. He said, you're going to be my son and you're going to be my daughter for my own possession. And here's the clangor. It's forever. Do you know the Bible says that none can snatch you out of his hand? Hallelujah. Come on, get excited about this. Jesus called you, he saved you, he added you into his family, it's his great pleasure, and he says no one is ever going to snatch them. Come on. This is the gospel, church. Jesus chose me, he chose you, he called you by name. It was a very deliberate act. So just in the same way as we've read at the beginning of this passage of Matthew, that Jesus calls his disciples, and I've now said to us, he's called you, it goes further. Because what has he called me into? Yeah? We've got to figure this out. What is it you've called me into? It's into your family. For what purpose? Matthew 28 gives us our remit for the Christian life. It tells us right at the back end of the chapter there, verses 18 through to 20, it's known as the Great Commission. It's what it says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So Jesus calls you, he calls me, and then he sends us. He says, you go in my authority into the world. Jesus said, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come to you. Because Jesus was geographically in one place. But the Holy Spirit's in all places across the face of the earth. And you, as a born-again Christian, endowed with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, are now sent out into the world to baptize people, to preach the gospel, and to love people enough to tell them about heaven and hell, sin and death. And the love of God. And here's where the rubber hits the road. That can seem really daunting. Yeah? Anyone felt daunted? Yeah? Okay. It's all right. You're just like everybody else. 
But it's not an excuse. So we can confidently say at this point that Jesus has called us and now we can go further and say he has commissioned us. Can you see that? He didn't just call you and say, I've saved you out of the trouble of the world, out of all of the problems of sin. Gather with Christians because life is so much easier. Because it's not, by the way, because we're all fallen still in many respects. We're still human. Jesus says, come to me. Be together as the church, but go out into the world. Do you know what Sunday mornings is really about? And I've said this for years and years and years. Do you know this is a bit like our fuel stop for the week? This is where we come to be fed, where we come to be watered, where we come to bring something and receive something. And then for six days of the week, we go out into the world so that there is light amongst darkness, so that there is hope where there is brokenness, so that there is the love of God all across the face of the earth. When you walk into your office on Monday morning, you are most probably the only hope in that place. Because everything else that is on offer there is fallen and failing and cannot save. Do you ever think like that? What a privilege. You get to go and be amongst people and you are the hope of the gospel. Jesus says you go in my authority. Wow, what a privilege. Jesus calls us and he commissions us. Now, if you were one of the people who a minute ago owned up and said, I feel daunted sometimes, or maybe you would put yourself down and say, I feel unqualified, let's look at the qualifications of the disciples that Jesus chose. Have you ever dug down into what they actually did for a living? I'm going to give you an overview. Simon Peter, fisherman. Andrew, fisherman. John, fisherman. Philip, probably a fisherman, we don't know for sure. Bartholomew, again, we can't be sure, but most theologians would say fisherman. Thomas, we're not sure, but probably a fisherman because he gets mentioned elsewhere in the Gospels as going fishing with the others. Matthew, tax collector. James, fisherman. Simon, probably a politician or a revolutionary of some description. Judas Iscariot was a treasurer. Thaddeus, love that name. You're, I'm going to give you a little bit of help here for when you're reading your Bibles. Thaddeus sometimes is called Judas and Labaius elsewhere in Scripture, okay? And you're probably asking the question, well, why? That's just really confusing. Well, the backdrop of that is, is that Judas would have been a very common name at that time in that part of the world. And so there would have been lots of them. And so as part of that name being derived from the name Judah and so on and so forth, what would have happened is there would have been a way in which, particularly in the Gospels, we need to differentiate who is being talked about. So to separate out Thaddeus from Judas Iscariot, and most probably Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, he's given these other names. That's how we can know who it is that we're talking about. Otherwise, you can get mixed up, can't you? Is that helpful to understand? Thaddeus is not Judas Iscariot, although he might be called Judas elsewhere in Scripture. But the thing we need to know is that this is not the creme de la creme of theological seminary class. These guys are not walking the planet with a master's degree in theology. They are ordinary men who have essentially put down their nets and followed Jesus. They have listened, they have seen, they have heard, and now they are going and they are doing. 
They've been with Jesus, they've been changed by him, and now they want to do what he's been calling them to do. And the same is true of you and of me. Jesus says, I've called you. Yes, we need to receive training. Yes, we need to make sure that we are ready to make a defense of the gospel, as Nathan brilliantly told us last week in that Peter verse. Be ready to make a defense for the gospel and the hope that's in you. But at the same time, we can't say, I'm always in training, therefore I'm never in the doing. Yeah? The devil would love to disqualify you. He would love to give you enough self-doubt so that you never, ever evangelized. He would love to give you enough of a crippling anxiety that you would go, but... And just shy away from having the rest of that conversation. Jesus has called you, church. He's commissioned you. He's commissioned me. And here's where it gets really good. He gives us signs that make us wonder, doesn't he? Yeah? Signs and wonders accompany the preaching of the gospel. It's part and parcel of it. Signs that make you wonder. I'm going to read to us a few different verses just to keep us in what Jesus is talking about. So the verse we've read in Matthew 10 today, Luke's gospel says this about this passage. And he called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure all diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Goes on into Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. That's where Nathan was for us last week. He was telling us about the 72 appointed. And it says that Jesus sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and every place that he was about to go. He sent messengers ahead. It goes on. Verses 8 and 9 of Luke chapter 10. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick... Uh, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I've never been brave enough to pray for someone who's sick, seen them healed and gone, the kingdom of God has come near to you. It hasn't occurred to me yet, but I probably should. Because that's the truth, isn't it? That's what I loved about the testimonies that came this morning. Tiki Martin's obedience to step out to three lads in a car park and give them some tracks, okay? The kingdom of God came near to those guys. So there's a couple of Greek words that really help us when we're reading the Gospels because they're there an awful lot. And one of the words is para. And para simply means the spirit alongside us. So throughout Scripture, you'll find moments where this word para is inserted into certain Scriptures. And it's where the spirit is alongside us because we can feel like we're on our own, we're inadequate, and we don't have what it takes to see the Gospel through in someone's life. Well, you're just the same as everybody else because it's God who saves. <laughs> we said that at the beginning, didn't we? Your job is to go as a messenger. Your job is not to save. Hallelujah. Pressure's off. It's just to go and be faithful. And yeah, you might stumble over your words and you might not say it all right and you might mess up a scripture. So what? It's still God who saves. He looks at your heart. He looks at your obedience. He looks at your faithful steps and goes, here comes the power. Here comes the spirit. Watch what I will do. So you've got the first word, para. The second word is sozo. Has anyone heard of the word sozo? Does anyone know what it means? 
Because sozo is used an awful lot in scripture. And uh, you may have heard it associated with Bethel churches because they do a type of ministry called sozo ministry. Um, But what the word sozo essentially means, it has three meanings. Saved, healed, and delivered. Sorry, Mark, could you pass my water, please? Saved, healed, and delivered. And it gets translated an awful lot in our scriptures. In fact, it's over a hundred times in the New Testament that we'll find that. Thank you. We find on 38 occasions that the word sozo gets used in regards to our forgiveness of sins. And that's used in the present tense. So your sins are forgiven. Present tense. We find the word used a further 53 times as saved as in the past tense. You have been saved from your sins. And you can find that Luke chapter 7 verse 50. Jesus says to the woman who's been there pouring her perfume out on his feet, wiping her tears and, and, and her hair on his feet and everything. It's that story. Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has sozo you. <laughs> if I could insert a Greek word into English, which doesn't work so well. But that's essentially what happens there. Your faith has saved you. But there's times where actually the exact same word is used in Scripture and it's translated as healed. So in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, it says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him as he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is to the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. And let me tell you, King's Church would have laid hands and would have prayed at this moment because you do it well. And the word sozo is used in that scripture, healed. It's referring to this physical healing. And we know from that story, actually, Jairus' daughter dies. And then she's resurrected from the dead. So this word's used in that story to say it's a healing from death. So the same word that's used for the forgiveness of sins and physical healing is the same Greek root word. And this is where... We move on now to demonic activity. Because in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 36, a well-known story, you'll have read it many times, I'm sure. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out onto the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he'd worn no clothes, as he'd not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you done to me? And Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out from this man. For many times it had seized him, and he was kept under guard, and he was bound with chains and shackles. But he would regularly break these bonds and be driven by this demon into the desert. And Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for we are many. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. And now at this point, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. And so Jesus, he, gave permission. Then the demons came out from the man, they entered into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and there they drowned. 
When the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then people went out to see what happened. And, then, and they came to Jesus and found a man from whom the demons had gone and sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed in his right mind. Cool. And it says they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been so-so. Healed, delivered. So this Greek word is used for three things. Your salvation, your healing, and your deliverance. Do you see the connection? Salvation is not about escaping hell. It's so much more than that. Your salvation is so much bigger and greater and more wonderful than that. You are saved from something and you're saved to something or someone. And it's a privilege. But where I really want to bring us to today is understanding that there is a spiritual element to all of the Christian life. Just as many, just as much as there is God working for our good, there is an enemy who wants to come against us. Jesus has purchased us eternally, but there is demonic oppression that can come in this life and does come. So we've gone full circle. Jesus has saved us, he's called us, he's commissioned us, and he's now said that I want salvation for you, I want healing for you, I want deliverance for you. It is the full package of salvation. To be saved is to be saved from it all. And we know that ultimately we are saved from the physical. Yes, we will all die, but we will always live. Hallelujah. This old tent's going to give up at some point. But that's all right, because I've got a new one waiting for me in glory. Jesus says, I have given you authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And in this culture, because we're not in Africa or, or continents where this uh, activity would perhaps be more prevalent, and I, I've traveled Africa a fair bit, I can speak uh, with some clarity on that. We can very easily in the West go, well, that's more of an Eastern thing or an African thing, demons and so on. It's not. Let me tell you, Satan is very much at work in our nation. He is very much at work in the lives of unbelievers. We're just much more ignorant in this nation or much more unwilling to attribute him as the root cause. Do you hear me when I said that? He hides in plain sight really well in this nation. And the gospel exposes him. And Christian, we need to be ready. As Christians, we are endowed with the authority to expel demons, cast out demons. And do you know what? When you, when you pray for someone, and if, if this ever happens in your Christian experience, you pray for someone because they have demonic activity in their life and you see them delivered. Do you know what you've done to that person? You've loved them. Isn't it? To share the gospel is to be loving towards someone. 
because you know something that they desperately need to know and they don't know they need to know it. (laughs) And I want to clear up perhaps an untidy area of Christian thinking because one of the things that gets really misunderstood when it comes to demonic activity is, well, who can have a demon? Yeah? I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it so that you all hear me. A genuine born-again Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Cannot. But they can be demon-oppressed. To be possessed is to be out of control and to be controlled. You cannot be full of the Holy Spirit and full of demons. Incompatible people. But... As a born-again believer, you can invite demonic influence into your life if you leave certain doors open, if you engage in certain things, if you are ignorant to spiritual elements in this world, if you were to dabble in the occult or reiki or tarot cards, pornography, affairs, emotional affairs. You open doors to say, Satan, come in and have some dominion. He doesn't have possession. And that is why we are such a big advocate in this church for freedom in Christ. Because what it does is it addresses these doors that we can all open. Because if we're not on guard and if we're not careful, we can all do these things. I don't stand here going, I'm, I, you know, this isn't something that can happen to me. It can happen in my life unless I keep watch. But you cannot be possessed. And maybe this morning someone needs to hear that because you've had things spoken over you by well-meaning people, but it is poor theology. If you belong to Jesus, you cannot belong to the devil, but you can have him working in your life. One of the other things that I've seen, and I I want you to really pay attention because I could find myself on a sticky wicket by the end of today if you don't. Physical sickness can oftentimes be spiritual sickness. I've seen it so many times. But hear me when I say this. Not all physical sickness is because there's a spiritual sickness in an individual. So don't walk around going, what's wrong with them spiritually? Come on, what you been up to? I'm not going to pray for you till you own up to it. Come on, church, we're better than that. Loving people. But sometimes, oftentimes, spiritual sickness is as a result. Uh, sorry, physical sickness is as a result of spiritual sickness. We have weakened our levels of commitment to Christ and opened doors to the world. They have invited in things that have polluted us, are toxic to us spiritually, and have invited the influence of the enemy into our world. And we need to be on guard for that. If you get sick, you need to ask yourself the question, what's going on here? Is this physical? Is this spiritual? God, what, are you, what, what do I need to do? I need, I need to get before you. I need to make sure that we're in right relationship and we're good. And there's other things I could go into. God can sometimes allow us to go through physical sickness as faith building and so on and so forth. I haven't got time to do that today, and I think you're mature enough to know these things. But let's be, let's be aware of these things. This life is a spiritual battle. And one we need to be really in tune to. God says, I have come to save you, heal you, and deliver you so that you can have fullness of life. And anything less than that is so settling. It would be such a waste. 
If I get my three score years and ten and I wasted some of them because I couldn't be bothered to keep in close relationship with Jesus because I just wanted to be watered down by the world. I wanted to satisfy my flesh. What a mess I would have made of things. The other thing I want to say to us, am I going on? A few more minutes. The other thing I want to say to us is that the enemy would love for you after today and in other ways for you to be completely preoccupied with everything that goes wrong being a spiritual battle. Everything that goes wrong in your life, there's a demon behind that rock, there's a demon behind this, there's a demon behind that. He would love to preoccupy you with thinking that way. There are many, many people who spend most of their Christian life praying against the works of the enemy. And here, I told you to listen and be careful. Praying against geographical spirits, praying against certain demonic influences in certain places. And yes, we must do that. But what they do is they do that over and above and even instead of going and sharing the gospel. So we're praying into the spiritual realm. We're calling down God's holiness and goodness. But we're forgetting the fact that God said, I've given you the authority to go. I've given you the authority and the commission to go and share this gospel of love. If you want the spiritual forces of darkness to go backwards, you go forwards. Come on. That's the gospel. Go forwards. Love people. That's what pushes back darkness. God doesn't say to his 72, you go ahead of me and pray. He said, go ahead and make a way. Go and prepare a way for me to come in. And Jesus is saying the same thing to you and I today. Yes, we must pray, but we must also go. Don't exchange one for the other, because in the Christian life, the longer you've been a Christian, the greater the temptation is to want to pray than it is to want to go. Is that fair? Resist that, guys. Don't ever settle. Jesus has called you, and it's the greatest adventure. I was smiling from ear to ear hearing those testimonies this morning. I had a go. Come on. Come on. How good is that? Satan would love to get you tangled up in doing things that are unproductive with regards to the gospel. I've often said this, if Satan can't destroy your faith, he'll distract you in it. That stood me in really good stead down the years. Well-meaning, good things, but they're not advancing the gospel. Dave Devonish is absolutely outstanding on this subject, and he teaches for a long weekend on this subject. And so I've, I've had the privilege of being with him, spending time with him, and having a conference with him, and so on. And here's some of the practical things, because you're probably sitting there going, it's all well and good saying this, Rich, but now I've got some authority and I haven't got a clue what to do with it. Here's some practical Dave Devonish tips. What do you do if someone has a demon? First thing he says is worship. Why do we worship? Because it elevates God over and above all things. We worship. You must prepare in prayer. It readies your own heart. And it stirs your spirit. You always pray in teams of two. Always. Demons will always try and dictate what is going to happen. No. We, do, we go God's way. You pray in teams of two for your own safety and for the safety of the individual who is being prayed for. Accountability. Welfare. If it's a lady being prayed for, it's not appropriate for two men to pray. 
you need a lady praying as well, yeah? Remind yourself of your authority in Christ. Revelation 12 is fantastic on that. Seek God for the gift of discernment between the spirits. What's going on here, God? What is it that's happening and what is it you want to do? We need to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to confess our own sins. You can't pray for someone to be delivered of something if you're carrying stuff yourself. Because let me tell you, demonic spirits will expose you as well. They won't bow to any authority if you actually are under their own influence too in certain areas of your life. Am I teaching you things you know? Or reminding you of things at least? The other thing, and this is a Dave Devonish classic, it's really important that if there is need for prayer in that way, set an appointed time for that to happen. Demonic spirits love to show up and cause havoc. That's what they do. Big song and dance. And I'd, if we didn't have children in the room, I'd tell you a story about how that happened once. You set a time and you go somewhere private and you go somewhere comfortable. Because we're praying for healing, aren't we? That's what it is. To be delivered is to be healed. I was troubled by something and God has healed me. Hallelujah. Just like the demoniac, he walked free. <laughs> Come on. Private, quiet, peaceful, and loving. There's so much more that I could say on these things, but it's simply this, and I'd summarize with this. Part of our being a witness is sharing the gospel so that people are saved, people are healed, people are delivered and set free. Anything short of that is to be short of the full salvation that Jesus purchased on our behalf, isn't it? So this morning, I'm going to finish with praying for people. And if anybody wants to be prayed for because they're feeling sick, I'd encourage you to come forward and I will gladly lay hands on you. If there is something that I've touched on today and you feel, do you know what, I've invited demonic influence into my life, I don't want you to come forward. I want you to come and speak to me afterwards and say, Rich, could we carry on a conversation? And, and I'd look to help you and, and, and find a way in which we can get you right with God. But what I don't want anyone to do is leave this place without asking the question, am I in a good place with Jesus or am I going through the motions? Because let me tell you, God loves you enough to send his own son to suffer and die so that you can be free. And it breaks his heart when you're not free. So we all got to ask that question. Does God need to minister into my life? So if that's something that you want to talk about, please come and see me afterwards today and I'd love to just help you through and with Quincy we'll work out how best to serve you and love you. So anyone sick? Anyone need healing? Come on down. Come on, Jesus is here. I'm going to make some room. And what we're going to do as a church is we're going to pray. I'm not going to be the one to pray. We're going to pray. Because this is who we are, King's Church. We pray for the sick, don't we? We love people. Anyone else? Anyone need prayer? Yeah? Well, can I have some ladies to pray, please, at least? <laughs> come on, church. If you've got faith to pray for healing, come on. 
Those that need prayer for healing are behind. Those who are going to be praying are in front. I reckon it's probably a wiser thing, so we know who's who. <laughs> Otherwise, we might not lay hands and pray. Come, come, come and pray. Come and bring your faith. Come and step out in your obedience.